so I um, remember we made some predictions last week. Do, do you remember what you predicted in terms of the three bottom teams? Uh, yep, I think I, I think I predicted one point between the three of them. Uh, which I guess do I get some sort of prize or is it? What do you want as a prize? Because you, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, I think I said that there would be no points for any of them, and of course. <laughs> Uh, St Mirren got that draw against Hearts um, which is the game of the three I didn't see so did, did you see either of the, the other two games? Uh, I've, I've, just, I've just seen the highlights I've not seen anything in great detail um, but I guess is this the first time that like I feel like uh, is this the first time that the eyes have beaten the stats like if, if we are people if, I, if I'm the eyes and you're the stats. <laughs> Is that the way we're working this? Um, I, so. I guess so, right? So you said it'd be a draw in Celtic versus Valencia at home, whereas I said it'd be a narrow win for Valencia. Oh, uh, okay. There's the stats man coming out again. <laughs> um, okay, well, yeah, your, 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 eyes, your eyes have managed to, um, to, to, to win this time. Um, I thought the, the Hibs Dundee game was a pretty entertaining game. You know, sprinklers going off during the match and everything. And, oh. um, yeah, but. You know, loads of goals, pretty exciting, plenty of uh, mistakes. And um, the Hamilton Ackies versus Rangers, well, we were both, I mean, I think that was probably one of the ones that you didn't think the point was coming from. No. Uh, for, for one of the bottom Absolutely teams. Absolutely not. Uh, uh, it was pretty interesting to see Brian Rice after the game essentially uh, saying, you know, how, how much he loved the way Rangers play and, uh, played and, and he wished uh, he, he could learn a bit from that and get his team playing that way, which was... You know, a, a frank and an honest kind of uh, piece of yeah, commentary guess, after the game. I guess game, it's but... quite nice to. Quite, I guess there's a the positive side of that. It's quite refreshing to hear a manager so complimentary of another team. Uh, normally, mm. a lot on what their team hasn't done. Sure. Um, so I guess that's nice, but at the same time, you've just been pumped five 0 So. <laughs> and, and there were plenty of things that his team didn't do that perhaps they could be focusing on first. But hey, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, well, well done. You got the um, the points this week in terms of pre- uh, predictions. Um, so yeah, th- this is episode three of um, Pure Football podcast. So it's the stories, people, stats, and rumours about football in Scotland and beyond uh, for ba- fans, by by fans. I'm Owen, Owen Brown. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at um, Owen James Brown. And with me is Gavin. Gavin, where, where can people find you on, on Twitter? Uh, just the standard pure pure football. Is this episode three? I thought this was four. Well, we had the pilot. Uh, so, ah, okay. Uh, I see what yeah. you've done there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Stats. <laughs> um, yeah, you can just find me on the on the pure football. Uh, account so that's just uh, twitter.com forward slash pure football and that's football spelled f-i-t-b-a-w but if you're listening you probably already know that um i don't really know how to come back from my inability to count (laughs) that's that's okay i mean the pilot you know do you count that you do not you know it's 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 debatable um (laughs) what we um do know is tonight's uh, running order so we're gonna have a wee discussion i think about um players in the Scottish Premiership that are going to be out of contract at the end of the season, um, or even maybe some that are, um, you know, maybe not out of contract, but their time at that club will be coming to an end due to maybe a loan being over or whatever. Um, then we're going to have a look at um, Aberdeen, because um, there's a couple of kind of, um, you know, notable things around contract expiration for them, uh, and just a kind of discussion of how, how they're getting on and some of their players. And then finally, uh, we're going to have kind of run through a couple of kind of hot topics uh, referees 
sectarianism, um, balls going out of play, and you know <laughs> what should happen then, and a couple of uh, questions from from some listeners. So uh, yeah, you got anything you want to say first of all about the kind of out of contract players, any uh, ones that stood out or anything to you? I guess that there was a few, a few, a sort of overarching theme. I mm. guess is that. The inability for Scottish teams to make any sort of plan, and when you look at the, some of the names across all the teams, there's a lot of first teamers out of contract um, from all clubs, or so out of contract or expiring because they they have them on loan. So um, I think it's something we've spoke about plenty of times before, but it's that it's borderline embarrassing, I think. Uh, and the one that surprised me the most in terms of you know first team names was actually Kilmarnock there was a lot there was a lot of players there that I was like oh my god they're they're almost going to have to rebuild a full first 11 yeah and it's funny timing because um, things are not going well for Kilmarnock all of a sudden on the park Um, you know after all the praise for you know Steve Clark I think there well there are multiple defeats on the bounce and yeah you're absolutely right um, taking away um, your your eye from just the on-field stuff at a moment there's a long list of players that they're not going to be with uh, next season. So who have you got? Who comes to mind for Kilmarnock then, firstly? So I guess just now, some of the, the, the better players, like you know Backman's done pretty well. He's obviously on loan. Um, mm-hmm. But then, even so he's older, Chris Burke plays almost every single week for them. Um, yep. And he's quite consistent as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if the, if the stats are, say anything different, but... Um, you know, he's one of the names that you can expect in a Kilmarnock team sheet without any real sort of uh, surprise. Uh, you've obviously got Jones, who signed his pre-contract with Rangers, which is a blow. Um, Tishbola, Scott Boyd, Chris Boyd, Malumbu, uh, McElhenney, who's played quite a lot since he's joined. Um, Scott Boyd, yeah, there's just there's so many like people where you just associate them with the first team that... Um, it'd be quite concerning, I think, if you're Steve Clark, because you either do you you sort of re up these older players, Burke and Boyd, both being thirty five, Scott Boyd thirty two, um, or do you try and invest those wages somewhere else? I'm not sure that you know Clark's done great with you know some of the con- uh, contacts that he has from down south, but these are a lot of key players to be to be losing on. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you know, if he is going to rely on the contacts from down south, then what we would suggest, I know it's easy to say so from afar, um, but it would obviously be a good thing if some of those contacts could lead to longer term deals for, for some players. Um, I agree with you entirely that the number, when we looked at this today, and if anybody wants to have a glance on my Twitter feed, uh, Owen James Brown, I've posted... Um, you know, a series of images for each of the clubs, um, so you can go and have a look at the the names for Kilmarnock that, according to Transfer Markt, uh, a, a website, are out of contract or coming to the end of their loan um, at the end of the season. And yeah, for, similarly, the the ones that, that stick out are the the loan ones like Tishbala and Backman, but then certainly we we all know that Jordan Jones is going to Rangers, but you know Boyd and, and Burke and so on also leaving. Um, Burke, Burke you're right, has done a huge amount of minutes for them and has been, I think, pretty important in terms of uh, pressing and, and ball retention and things like that. So definitely somebody that would be missed. And even if he's not let go, you know, that's, that's way too old to be having him next season as somebody you yeah. rely on heavily. Same would go for Boyd. So, yeah, definitely a, a major, um, well, a not insignificant rebuilding job for Kilmarnock potentially on the horizon there. And again, I think... You know, 
taken out all the the issues with the sectarian stuff that we'll get to later on. But if you lose Steve Clark as well to you know um, a bigger fish, then that that could easily see all the you know the good work undone very quickly. You're completely right. Yeah, this could we could well be looking back on this um, a year from now um, with Comaric in a very different place if you know Clark decides either for you know personal reasons or because of a managerial appointment or because you know the squad uh, in the summer is not what he'd want and, and you know for a combination of all three reasons maybe he decides to go to England to you know there would certainly be I think we'd spoken when Huddersfield sat Wagner we, we were wondering you know maybe even a club of that level um, might consider interviewing Clark and, and certainly in the championship or, or something like that given how well he's done over the kind of calendar year 2018 um. Yeah, he he might decide it's time for him to to go to. Um, I mean, his stocks yeah. at an all time high with Kilmarnock and in in Scotland, so it would you know it make sense. He's not going to get. I can't see how he would take Kilmarnock further. You know, they might get a a cup run where they they do well, but I think that's probably you know where they're at now is as good as it's going to get, especially with all these players about to move on. You would imagine. Sure. Um, any other teams that stand out to you in terms of the um, squad I, issues that might be coming in the summer? I guess again, looking at a lot of them, do have a lot of first teamers that are, that are out. Um, you know, I think one other one that stood out to me was um, why can I not speak Motherwell? Um, yeah, Motherwell had a lot of you know players that you see playing regularly for them, um, whether it's. Curtis Main, Carl McHugh, uh, Goring, who's broken into the first team, yep. uh, Grimshaw, it's sorry, Jake Hasty, there's Chris Cadden, there's Aldred, um, um, Ariubi's due to go back from his loan spell. So yeah, they've got multiple people that, um, not not just kind of seasoned um, first teamers, but people like Cadden and Hasty who are assets um, oh, yeah. that could potentially be leaving for... Um, little or, or kind of you know nominal fee in the, in the summer, so um, yeah, definitely that was one of the other ones that jumped out. Should, should we run through some of the other names from yeah, other teams? Go too? for it, go okay. for it. So, I, I actually made a, a, a team of 11 um, in positions uh, just, just for okay, fun. For go this. For it. So, uh, the goalkeeper, the well, the, the own well. Uh, I was trying to just do people that were coming to the end of their contract rather than loanies. Um, yep. So in goal, it's uh, Woods of Hamilton, who you may know if you've listened to this before, I, I really don't rate. But um, <laughs> I think we've got a good enough defence in this team that you know we'll, we'll live with that. He was the only keeper that I knew of, at least, that was out of contract. Um, right wing back is Mr. L- um, three centre backs that's um, uh, Sean Essie of St. Johnston who um, is kind of rumoured to maybe be interested in Aberdeen on a pre-contract and has certainly Kerr has taken all the plaudits and has you know uh, rightly um, yep. you know been talked about for a Scotland call-up um, Sean Essie's a bit older and, and obviously not Scottish but has performed really well uh, too I would say Um Boyata of Celtic yep. and uh, Halkett of Livingston are the other centre-backs. And then at left wing-back, we've got yep. uh, Shinny of Aberdeen. And then in the middle of the park, I've got Gorin of Motherwell and Jim of Hearts. I think in terms of passing and pressing, has been really good for Hearts when he's been available this season and will be a, a big loss if he goes. Um, and then ahead of him, I had Hasty. Yep. Uh, of Motherwell has been, you know, a revelation lately with his uh, 
Gareth Bale esque uh, kind of dribbling and goal scoring and, and yep. you know um, <laughs> transcreation. Um, then on the other side of Gary McKay Stephen, who hasn't been so impressive for me this season, but certainly would uh, be able to do a job in this team. And then up front, I've got Stephen Naismith, who um, you know is out of contract. Um, I, I, sorry. I think he's both out of contract and coming to the end of his loan period, so I'm going to count him. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. Uh, so you're what do you right, make of yeah. that team? I've got Boyd and Mikel Miller and Chris Cadden on the bench, and you know various people in reserve. Um, that team would probably finish if you had to put them in the league. Where do you think they'd finish? I'd say probably comfortably third. Oh really? Wow, gosh, um, that's probably higher thinking. than I thought. I think that the goals might dry up in that team a bit. So I was going to say maybe about uh, fifth or sixth. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, got what Boyata at the back, the back, a Belgian international. Cadden's played for Scotland on your bench. I don't know. I think that's a decent team. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no doubt, half these players will be recycled throughout the the Scottish League come the the transfer window. Mm. Either re-sign them with their, their current club or, or you know, somewhere else. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. Like you know, the players are, and I know some of them are a bit older, but players of that importance to each of these teams to be available to sign for other places right now um it's just it's it's one of the disappointing parts of scottish football just the the lack of foresight the lack of forward planning uh, it's almost like a scramble at every single transfer window yeah absolutely and and you know people say that this is how it has to be because of you know finances and the concern about getting relegated and having longer contracts with these people and you know the players won't agree to it and so on but um, I think that's a wee bit of a cop out, and obviously there will be cases in which it's difficult to approach things differently, you know, and and you know have to look at these things on a player by player basis. But in general, that's worrying that there's so much talent that's uh, you know going to be lost by clubs for for free, and you know, and is then both going to cost them in terms of the uh, finances they might have got if they were able to sell that player, but then the the cost in terms of having to recruit and you know um, the yep. You know, cost in terms of how that might affect performance next season. So, big issue. I mean, I'm not saying there's not some players that you might want to get rid of from these lists. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> but um, still, it's not good planning to maybe not have a. You know, lots of these players, as Gavin mentioned, are people that have done lots of minutes. So, I don't think it's necessarily the case um, that you know the clubs are set for replacing them. There's not kind of any progress uh, in terms of phasing people out. Yeah, I get yeah I agree and again I think it's these sort of hidden costs that's ma- that maybe aren't you know considered like paying agent fees again when you bring in a new player signing on bonuses when you buy when you bring someone else in you know if you have someone on a two year deal um or a three year deal uh, especially if it's someone that's key to your first team surely that's you know cheaper for you in the long run versus having to bring in x amount of players to try and get you know the the same amount of quality uh, of the player that you've lost um it just seems really, really, really poor planning to me, and it is definitely one of the areas that I think we both agree that you know Scottish clubs need to uh, improve upon. Yeah, absolutely, need to do much, much better. Um, so, wh- one of the players that we mentioned there as uh, going out of contract, one of the higher profile ones, is uh, Graham Shinney. And we said tonight that we would have a wee look at how Aberdeen are doing. Um, what have you felt about how they're performing this season, Gavin? Uh, Aberdeen, I think they were quite a slow starter. Um, they they seem to have you know a bit of a inconsistent start to the season, up and down with results. Um, but they seem to have had a bit of form uh, the turn of the year. 
Um, and again, I, I think Aberdeen is such a, a weird team overall. Um, Derek McInnes seems to sign a lot of the same players. Um, doesn't seem to be overly creative in the transfer market. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they finish the season and how they go into next season, especially with the uh, impending uh, stadium move uh, and the the costs that come with that. Um, Shinny, I think, is the absolute driving force of that team. I think you've seen that at the weekend. Um, both the goals that he scored, you know, he took the ball, he he drive forward with it, shot from distance in a game that didn't have any real quality. He was the difference between the two teams. Um, he's a captain. Uh, I think it's also worth noting from an Aberdeen perspective, this could be the, you know, the last two captains. If Shinny does leave, they would have lost Ryan Jack for nothing, mm-hmm. and they could now lose Graham Shinny for nothing. Um, and again, for for someone that's as pivotal to you, pivotal mm-hmm. to your club um, as your captain, um, both players in the engine room, um, you know, driving forward the club, pushing uh, forward players, etc., and being a leader to lose both those for nothing would be nothing short of a catastrophe for me. It's been. It seems like there's been quite a. Uh, lack of continuity in, in the kind of midfield with the shinny and situation potentially and what you said about Ryan Jack and then you have to bear in mind as well that there's also Ryan Christie and Kenny McLean that have you know recently moved out of uh, that kind of midfield area yep. so yeah um, definitely that's it's a, it's a wee bit troubling that that's kind of happening um, I know that they were obviously super pleased that they tied Scott McKenna down to a longer term deal but um, it does seem you'd have to think if it's getting this close to the end of the season and nothing's been agreed with Shinny, um, do, do you think it's likely that he would be leaving? What What do you think? So so I, I read uh, on Twitter, um, which is obviously a fountain of truth, um, <laughs> that uh, he'd been offered the record, or sorry, the the highest to be paid the highest paid player in Aberdeen's history, and that's rumored to be uh, over eight grand a week. Mm-hmm. Um, which I still think he could get a lot more going down south to, for example, like an Ipswich or a QPR. He'll probably get more than that uh, at these sort of teams. So I guess for him it depends on what does he want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, is he going to achieve any more at Aberdeen? Is he going to achieve any more at these you know, sort of uh, mid to, to low championship teams? I don't know, but he he could uh, maybe someone like Sunderland if they got promoted with a connection with Jack Ross maybe he would he would be someone that they could look at um, I'm not sure I just I, it's such a weird one like part of me thinks he'll stay but then part of me thinks is that the right thing for him should he give English football a try before he gets too old because he's he's got one good contract left in him based on his age profile uh, in my opinion yeah, go and get the money. That's what I say. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean uh, before any Aberdeen fans take complete offence at me. I don't mean that necessarily, <laughs> specifically just to Shinny, but I mean in general. When you hit that age, and um, yeah, I would kind of say go, go and get the money. Um, it's not a surprise to me really that Aberdeen would want to make him the highest paid player in their history. I mean, obviously people at this point in time are going to be paid more than people in the past. And he is their captain. He's you know kind of a, a critical part of their team. So um, not not a surprise that they would be wanting to offer him the the very most that they can. But um, you're right. Um, regrettably, or or you know for whatever reason, in comparison to even um, you know the the lower end of the championship in England, 
that's you know probably not very much at all. Uh, you know, there's probably plenty of teams down there that can um, trump that. Um, in, in terms of how Aberdeen are performing, you, you kind of spoke about their upturn. Um, yeah, they, they definitely, in my mind at least, had a little bit of a slow start where they were kind of down in mid-table. Um, I'm just wondering whether, I mean, clearly they have had some reasonable results lately, but it feels to me like maybe more they've been boosted up the table recently by the poor results of other teams more than they themselves being that great. So yep. Kilmarnock obviously are on a pretty bad run of form. Um, St. Johnston are on a really bad run at the moment. Um, Hibernian picked up under Heckenbotham, but obviously he's arrived because they were you know going through a, a bad turn. Um, and Hearts has been you know a bit mixed. Um, and you know obviously Motherwell have, have picked things up recently, but then you know lost their their most recent game, and, and prior to that weren't great. So um, you know in, in my view, obviously it's brilliant for Aberdeen that they're in uh, third place, and they're pretty close to uh, Rangers. And, and based on Kilmarnock's current form, you you would say that Aberdeen look quite secure in third place at the moment, but. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced that it's all because of them doing doing great. It's partly helped, I think, by other teams not being particularly good. Um, in in terms of how um, Aberdeen are kind of performing, uh, you know, statistically, um, I would say that they they really struggle to make good chances or or many good chances at least. It's kind of as as simple as that for for me. Um, so we're all well. Most of us are pretty familiar with the style of play this season, at least, and uh, Cosgrove being a kind of key part of how they attack. Um, and maybe that will change, and they might be able to generate some better opportunities now they've got people like Greg Stewart involved. But up until now, I'm I'm kind of seeing it as though they they make a reasonable number of shots for their position in the league, but they're not very good um, shots at all. Um, on the other hand, their defending is quite effective. Um, so when I look at things, they're, they're maybe a bit more active higher up the park now than they were earlier in the season when it was kind of a case of um, quite kind of last-ditch defending on the edge of the box if the kind of midfield man marking had been bypassed. But now it looks as though they're maybe being a bit more aggressive higher up. Um, a bit more you know pressing, a, a bit more disruption of the opponent before they get further. And by that, they're limiting the amount of shots they concede. And, and they're also, I think, quite good at defending set pieces. So, you know, the defensive side of the game is, is pretty good. What what do yeah. you think about how, you know, you see them playing and, and what their performance is like? Yeah, there's a couple of things that you mentioned there. I think, first of all, to go back to when their season turned around, I think their season turned around when Sam Cosgrove actually started scoring. Because mm-hmm. uh, before he went on that sort of hot streak... He had a horrible record in Scottish mm. football. Um, uh, I'll see if I can quickly bring up the the stats. Um, yeah, so last year he he, he didn't score in the league. Twenty games uh, or so, yeah. Or so. Yeah. So um, and then he went on that you know, sort of crazy tear uh, mm. over the last ten to twelve games. And what the just a, um, the kind of stats say about his scoring run at the moment is that he he is outperforming expected goals. So meaning that he's scored some goals, um, which. Um, 
maybe based on the type of chances they were, you wouldn't really expect them to. So I wouldn't be too confident that the run is going to carry on much longer if he continues to get the same sort of chances he has been. I'm thinking particularly of, I don't know if you remember, the, well, the goals, I guess, against uh, Hearts and Livingston and Dundee, ones like those, um, where, uh, you know, essentially he's had quite a lot of his goals that have not been very good chances. Um, yeah. So... You know, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. I mean, obviously, he's a monster in the air. Um, you know, wins a huge amount of ball and, and you know, does generate a lot of attempts at goal. But I am um, I'm, I'm not convinced that this kind of scoring is sustainable for him. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the one that sticks out in my head was the 4-2 Rangers game was the goal that he scored where it was an awful ball in the box, but it sort of ricocheted from mm. a Rangers defender to him yeah. and he was just in the right place. So it wasn't a great, a great opportunity for him. It was more luck that the ball fell to him. Well, um, there's, there's there's a skill in being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, of course. So, of, of, uh, of course, but, of course but, but, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not sure if... Um, uh, the 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 scoring streak that he's on is is something that would be sustained for the remainder of the season, or something that Aberdeen fans could necessarily expect him to be able to replicate next season if he's yeah. still making the same sort of chances. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think just to the point you made about you know their defensive solidarity, Cosgrove comes into that as well. Sure, uh, you're bringing him back into the box to defend set pieces, um, and he's an out ball if they need to just launch it away. You know, uh, for, correct. Um, in terms of other players, I think um, Lewis Ferguson is maybe worth a, a, a kind of discussion, given that he's. Rec- I think he recently signed an, another contract. Is that right? Yep, or, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So talking of people are out of contract and so on, they've at least secured him for um, a, a reasonable amount of time. Um, what have you thought of him this season? I think his energy in the middle of the park is excellent. Mm. He 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 always impresses me um, when he plays. Um, he doesn't seem to shy away. He always looks like the sort of guy that fans just like because of their work ethic. They don't necessarily always have to be doing brilliant things, but the fact that they give 100% every time they're on the pitch, that's just something where you almost buy credit with supporters. Um, and he's came up with a couple of huge goals for, for uh, Aberdeen. Obviously, the, the one against Rangers. There's the one against uh, yeah. Livingston as well. So is it five um, goals that he's got? He's, yeah, something like that. Five in a league. So, uh, yeah, yeah, five I mean, he's, goals. He's shooting yeah, from some right. terrible positions, uh, to, to be honest. About. Um, so I, <laughs> I think, I mean, honestly, I think he's quite wasteful um, in terms of shooting, and it's difficult to. I mean, that seems stupid given he scored five goals, but um, you know, you've got to make choices. Would you put that down to inexperience? Do you think so? He's only what nineteen. So do you think it's maybe you know just a, like that sort of rush of blood well, to the head that, play, that right? will come in time? Inexperience. There's maybe the fact that you've already scored, uh, you know, a few uh, goals. Um, so you know you might think, okay, I'm pretty good at this, or your manager might be saying, you know, you're pretty good at this. Shoot anytime you get a chance. All, all these kind of things are at play. Um, but yeah, d- definitely, you have to respect the fact that he scored five goals already in just over half a season, which at his age from his position is fantastic. But um, yeah, he's, he's pretty wasteful um, with, with long shots and that's certainly something I think he needs to um, work on and be a bit more selective and stuff. And yeah, you're right, that that probably will come with age. I really like um, his ability to win fouls. I think he's really good at um, uh, getting into yeah. more advanced spaces and then uh, getting somebody to foul him, which 
is a bit of a skill, and I think he's a reasonable passer for for his age. You know, obviously the energy is the thing that kind of sticks out and stuff. But I think there's there is some kind of reasonable ball progression ability there. So quite interested to see how he um, continues to develop. Yeah. Yeah, there was two. There's two questions uh, okay. on Ferguson, particularly from a few different followers. Um, one last week was actually when we were talking about the Scotland squad. Someone asked how far away is Lewis Ferguson mm. from the Scotland squad, and um, I think he is still. You know, I think we spoke about how he's still a few years away. Let him develop in the twenty ones, but he looks like someone that could be. You know, in yeah, the Scotland squad. It's a long way me. off for him, in my view, and that's not any. Um, uh, that's not to kind of disrespect him or his talent it's just that his age there's a pathway I think he should get some more time in uh, the under 21s and there's there's quite a few um, you know we've got reasonable options in that area of the park at the moment I think so it's a wee while away yet but definitely somebody to keep an eye on um, yeah uh, yeah and the the next question I don't know if you're able to, to pull it if you have any data on this one if not it's okay but uh Greg G seventeen twenty one asked, "What is Lewis Ferguson good at?" So I, I'm not sure if there's any of the stats that you have available, um, to, you know, to try and quantify what things sure. that Ferguson actually brings. I know I know we spoke about how he's mm-hmm. you know he's got he's adding goals to to Aberdeen, um, but just if there's any stats that you can bring up yeah, to, to I, I quantify guess his performance, what the stats might tell you. Um, and I do have some that I can look at. Is that um, He's quite good in terms of keeping the ball. And what I mean by that is both um, that he'll win a foul. So instead of the opposition being able to tackle him and, and take on possession, he can get them to foul him. Um, he also doesn't turn over the ball that often um, for his position. So he's able to hold on to it and, and kind of not be tackled. Um, he's got reasonably good passing. Um, and like you said, um, he's dynamic so you know with Statsbomb for instance I can have a look at his defensive activity map and see where he makes challenges and where he makes pressures on the opponent and stuff and you can compare those to the average in the league um, for that kind of zone of the pitch and he's very very um, intense and active in that kind of right side of the central midfield pocket for Aberdeen so he's, he's doing a lot um, in terms of you know kind of pressing people um, and you know kind of trying to intercept the ball and making tackles and stuff so those are the things that the stats would say that he's good at the stats would say that he's bad in terms of short locations you know okay I guess I guess from an Aberdeen point of view that's something that you can live with you know if he's giving you all those positives um, and the area that you need to develop on a, a young you know a midfielder is is his almost his thinking I guess and Um, again there's some stylistic issues probably there as well because the way Aberdeen play it might be that if the ball progresses too far with the midfield uh, then what are your options if your normal option is to play it quite long up to Cosgrove um, or maybe get it out to Stuart or or Gary Mackay-Steven if you get maybe just into the start of the opposition's final third and and maybe at that point the opposition defence is you know quite deep and Cosgrove is well marked and maybe there's no opportunity like maybe your your players like Gary Mackay Stephen or uh, you know McLennan or whoever maybe they're in the wings and and there's not a lot of movement 
So maybe the only option for him really is to try and attempt a shot. So there could be you know reasons about the way the team plays that's kind of forcing them into that at, at, at times. Yeah, I guess that that's that's a pretty fair analysis. Um, and again, Greg, thank you very much for for getting in touch. And it was a a good question. It's good to hear that sort of detail yeah, that's available if on Greg on, wants on to Shin as well. Give us his feedback about you know um, Ferguson shooting and things like that, and whether. Look, you know, it's worth it. He should just keep going for it whenever or if he does think there's ways to do with how the team play that are causing him to have too few options once he gets to a certain point in the pitch and he's having to pull the trigger. There is quite clearly, there's a kind of band of shots that um, Ferguson's attempted from maybe like kind of 25 to 30 yards out on the kind of just to the right um, in midfield you can kind of see a patch there if you look at where he shot from. So be interesting to know what, what from an Aberdeen fan that watches every match, uh, what, what's happened there. Um, any other Aberdeen players that you've been interested in this season in particular? Uh, Max Lowe is one that yeah. uh, he's he looks like he's, you know, a bit of a find. Um, really glad they got him back for the kind of second half of the season because it seemed like the loan was only going to be an initial kind of six-month thing and then I think they got another... Uh, six months six extension so that that's great uh, I've been really impressed with him um, I think in terms of uh, well lots of the things you want from a fullback so good tackling good dribbling brings the ball to yeah. the pitch well whether that's dribbling or passing it into good areas um, the tackling wise it's not just the volume but for me the kind of number of his challenges that he wins um, is really quite impressive so yeah I've, I've liked it, him it, yeah I was just going to say like it, my when I think of Max Lowe from the games that I've seen Aberdeen, you know, um, he's quite he comes across as quite tenacious mm. again, similar to Ferguson yep. in terms of that profile. Yeah. Um, so it seems to be something that you know McInnes and, and the scouting team at Aberdeen try to find um, as almost that level of aggression in players because he he doesn't seem to shy away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from from I, I think in the Rangers game he he done a fairly decent job against. Um, Ken and Candace throughout, who you know t- tend to switch sides and can make it difficult. Mm. Um, I know Aberdeen conceded, you know, a few goals in that game, but I, I, I wouldn't pinpoint any of them directly on him. Sure, um, and I, I've quite liked Connor McLennan when he's played as well. Uh, the, the young kind of winger, just in terms of his dribbling, and he's had a couple of goals as well, and, and made some chances and, and so on. So he's somebody else that I would. Um, I'd like to see him get some more minutes, perhaps even instead of you know Gary McKay Stephen or, or somebody like that, for instance. Um, what about you? Have you seen much of him? Uh, I only remember seeing I think one. Did he score a goal earlier in the season that was quite good? I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say he did, um, but yeah, I've not seen a huge amount. Again, we don't get, um, or I've not seen uh, a huge amount of highlights from him. Yeah, I've just seen it that he did score against Dundee. That's the goal that I, I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he cut in from the inside and, and drilled it in. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's he's a good player. What about flipping on his head? Is there anyone at Aberdeen that you don't particularly like and you think that they should look to move on from? Uh, well, I think we spoke last week about Joe Lewis in goals. So it was a yep. wee bit of a surprise, I guess, to us both, <laughs> um, sort of, in terms of what the stats said. Um, maybe it had gone under the radar a wee bit this season, but basically the, the, the stats would suggest that he's... Not that great a shot stopper, at least at the moment, and not that great in terms of claiming the ball. And he's actually, if you were to look at um, 
they kind of expected um, post-shot um, XG against them. He, he's let in four goals this season that really um, you might expect him to have saved. So he's maybe one of the ones that I would um, say they might want to have a think about um, what, what they're going to do. Um, uh, Gary Woods. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is available. He's out of contract. <laughs> um, no, but what about, I don't know, Liam Kelly maybe or something like that. I don't know if that would be the jump yeah. that Kelly would want to make. He maybe thinks... Maybe you know, hang on, and there might be uh, you know a, a English Championship team or, or something, yeah. um, or maybe even back to Rangers if you know to uh, take over from McGregor at some point. But yeah, yeah I'm, you could even be smart and look at you know if you look at Dieng and uh, yep. the St. Menon keeper, I can never pronounce his name. Is it Vladke? We'll go um, with him. Sure. <laughs> yeah, Haladke, Haladke, Haladke. The St. Menon keeper. Yes. <laughs> um, both of those are all on loans, so if you you know be smart and and steal them if you know what they can do in the league, mm-hmm. uh, especially Dieng, who you know you could probably get on a loan. Um, he's not going to be challenging for minutes, you'd imagine, anytime soon. At, uh, is it QPR? He's from, that's right, yeah, or, yeah, QPR. Yeah. So I'd be surprised if he's challenging someone like Alex Smithies, I think, as their keeper um, for minutes just now. Um, so you know, go and go and grab him. Absolutely, uh, I'm not sure. The- not sure what his contract is though to be fair yeah me, me neither uh, but yeah potentially he could be available next season again um, the only other thing that I was thinking about in terms of players at Aberdeen where there there are a few who are quite old that are still doing a fair amount of minutes for them and I don't know if they'd want to be prepared for um, a different approach next season so Logan, McGinn, Considine um, they're all at least 30 um, and have each done a reasonable amount of minutes this season so those would maybe the other ones that I would um, uh, definitely be wanting to consider how, how to move on from them. Yeah, I, I agree with both those. I've, I think Shay Logan's been rubbish for quite a while now being perfectly honest. Um, Absolutely. The other, one that's, the other one that sprung to my mind is Stevie May. I'm not even sure what he does anymore. Um, he doesn't really score. He doesn't really create I mean I, I'm not some I can't say I'm a huge fan of him I'm not sure if he even knows what his position is anymore whether he's a striker a winger uh, an attacking midfielder he just seems a bit lost to me yeah I guess you're right that maybe it's um time to move on for him I, I feel a bit disappointed I still kind of hold out that um yeah things might come good for him but yeah you're right maybe it's difficult because what exactly is those his role he's not getting um a lot of shots off from good areas this season. He hasn't scored at all. Although I mean, he has made enough chances that you you know the the kind of stats would say that he should have had a few um, goals, but they're not from good zones. He's not getting into kind of striker positions, in my view. I know he has been playing off Cosgrove, and whether that's something that he can be effective or not, I, I, I'm not too sure. It certainly doesn't seem to me as though. Um, you know he's adding something else significant to the team if he's not able to bring goals. Um, so yeah, what what's the what's the next move for him? Huh? Yeah, and I guess one thing I just wanted to quickly mention on Stevie May is uh, I couldn't actually really care what happens next to him because he blocked me for asking who would do Brexit better, him or Theresa May. <laughs> so, okay. So uh, so I. I pissed off Stevie May for that. So um, was that purely a, yeah. a surname related joke? Because that absolutely. Or, yeah. I mean, it's it's poor it's poor patter. I know, but uh, it felt like it, is it worth it? Is know. it worth a blocking? 
I, I felt it was a bit much yeah, for him. I'm sure too. he gets it all the time. Um, so a bit of a challenge his characteristics there, to be honest. A bit of a soft touch, our Steve. Mm. When you say he gets it all the time, I, I I don't think he's probably had that particular joke before. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> either way, um, does it take a? I mean, we could throw this as a as a test to our listeners. Gavin is essentially saying that he thinks Stevie May is quite soft for blocking him for that. So why don't you see what it might take for Gavin to block you? <laughs> <laughs> Gavin setting this <laughs> hard man standard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd rather we didn't do no, that. But... And just so you know, I'm very quick with a block button. I'm, I'm with Stevie May there. <laughs> um, but sure, that's that is another reason why Aberdeen might want to you know see if they can sell him in the summer. I guess, yeah. <laughs> so uh, there we go, Aberdeen. Just finally, um, I mean, maybe the kind of instant take on this has changed as Aberdeen have gone up a wee bit in the league, um, you know, from earlier in the season. But I think earlier in the season, people were maybe asking if things are kind of stagnated for Derek McInnes. Um, what what do you think? I mean, again, is this one like Steve Clark? Maybe where if Shinny leaves in the summer, is McInnes thinking, well, is now the right time for me to go to another job, maybe in England somewhere? Is this the kind of peak, you know, if he finishes third or, or maybe second this season um, and then looks at the squad, uh, you know, with um, Max Logan back away on loan and maybe having to move on from Joe Lewis and Shinny not there and, and so on. What do you think? What What's kind of next for him or for Aberdeen? I don't like people that don't challenge themselves and I feel like Derek McInnes falls into that bracket. I know he went down south um, with Bristol City for a couple of years and didn't do too well mm-hmm. um, but I do wonder what the ceiling is at Aberdeen and I think the new stadium move is going to come with financial restrictions you know if they sell if they sell someone like Scott McKenna for you know the figures that are quoted between you know five and ten million whatever it may be mm-hmm. um how much of that will he actually see and how much will he actually be able to uh, reinvest in the squad? Um, mm. So, yeah, I think I think he should... Again, he's, his stock is probably as high as it's ever going to get. Um, yeah, I mean, you would I'm think, not, what, what, what can he do to really improve it? I mean, because he's managed to get to cup finals. Would winning the cup mean that much more than having got to the final anyway in terms of boosting his stock if he waited another season to see if that was possible? It's very, very unlikely that he'd be able to win the league, um, and that's what I think. That's six years now that he's been at Aberdeen. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. that seems to me like a reasonable length of time. Obviously, I'm not wishing for Aberdeen fans if they are happy with him for this to happen, but you might think that he might be thinking, um, "Well, is this the kind of end of the cycle here, and then do we have to look at something else?" Hmm. An interesting one to follow. We'll we're, uh, we'll come back to that, um, I guess, towards the end of the the season. Um, so moving on just now, then to our kind of third thing that we we're going to look at uh, this evening, which is a kind of quick um, ish kind of hot take run through on some current topical issues. So, what do you think about referees, Gav? Uh, I think the whole thing's absolutely blown out of proportion, and people need to remember that. Referees across the full world make mistakes, you know, regardless of league nationality. Referees make mistakes, horrendous mistakes, whether they're, whether they're supported by VAR or uh, the assistant stupid refs in the Champions League or whatever that do nothing. Um, but does that they make mis- does that mean that you shouldn't do anything about it? 
No, no, no. My, my point was mm. uh, that was me having a bit of a rant about the foreign okay, ref okay. thing that's going on. So right. uh, it's it's not that they shouldn't be supported. Mm. Um, qu- quite the opposite, because um, mm. we don't want to see high profile mistakes in big games. Mm. Um, but it is also part of football, and we need to accept that there is whilst whilst something is open to subjectivity, mm-hmm. there will be. Uh, something that could be a mistake or you will have someone that could view something completely different. We, we, me and you, can look at the exact same instance and we could probably argue over whether something was uh, A or B. Um, Absolutely. Or, and we see even like during a game, you know, pundits saying uh, in real time or even in the first viewing of the replay, that's definitely a penalty. And then the same pundit, maybe half a minute later, on the second viewing of the replay, will you know eat their words and say, "Well, actually, so yeah, we definitely agree that we have to recognise that it's difficult um, to make these decisions and that some mistakes will happen." Are you are you concerned? See, with the talk of foreign referees, and I completely agree with you also that you know obviously um, uh, other referees from other countries make mistakes too. But I think the We'll come back to this, but one of the things that people are suggesting foreign referees for is that um, they maybe don't believe that the mistakes are due to just the referees being infallible, (laughs) but they think that there's a bias based on clubs they support, and that's why some people want uh, foreign referees. Can we both just say that that's nonsense and and that? Oh my god! Um, Yeah, but when I think people need to remember that there's you know other clubs outside of Glasgow that te- uh, people can support. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. But also, th- this to, is to the case, like again, with what you were saying about um, referees able to make mistakes all over the world. In fact, on Sunday night, uh, ITV had their first screening of they're going to be doing some La Liga Spanish games um, up until the end of the season after 11 sports had to give them up. But there was a major um, refereeing decision in that game which turned the game for Real Madrid. And is this Casemiro? Yeah, and, and in oh. Spain, I mean, you know, there's the same thing where you know the both Real Madrid and Barcelona fans think that the other team is getting all the decisions for them, but every other smaller club, um, and to my view, the smaller clubs are probably the most right in this. Um, certainly, don't see it as though um, they're getting the decisions that they merit. So the the whole um, you know the the tribal allegiance thing and whether referees are binds for one club or the other. That's not a thing um, that's only kind of focused in Scotland, but it's it's deeply unfair, I think, and absolutely ridiculous. When we were talking about foreign referees, what it did make me think back to was the referee strike in 2010, where we did have to bring in foreign referees because the criticism of referees got so bad that our referees went on strike. Um, do, do you remember that at all? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, just wondering th- whether we're in any danger of getting to that sort of I situation. Think so. um, I, I think so. I think things are um, I mean uh, They are at boiling point. You can feel it. Yeah. You know, you know, um, and it's sorry, it's mm-hmm. just, you know uh, I actually think it's the some of the TV pundits that, you know uh, blow out of proportion way more than it has to be and I think one of the points you absolutely nailed earlier on um, about uh, pundits making a decision and then after seeing a replay in the words, there was a, an example in the Rangers Hamilton game in the weekend where Stephen Gray, uh, Cragen fr- um, said that it was a stonewall handball from Ziggy mm-hmm. Gordon. Mm-hmm. The they then changed the the replay uh, mm-hmm. to a different angle, 
and he said the referee got it right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's two different things that he said in the space of 30 seconds. And then for Cregan, and... that's the end of it as far as he's concerned. He probably forgets about that. But if it had been the other way around and the referee had made the wrong decision, then that decision is going to be analysed and poured over and obsessed over uh, on that very TV show for you know at least a good part of the after-show highlights programme or whatever. And, um, it's pathetic. It's a, I think that... Well, there's two two sides to this, okay? So, um, one, I do think that some of the decisions are not very good and some of the refereeing is not very good. And my take in relation to that would be a couple of things. Firstly, um, I think that the referees should be full-time and professional. Um, they're not at the moment. And I think by the very fact of it that the referees are not um, full-time professional, it means that the best people are not doing the job. Because the only people that can afford to do the jobs are people that can afford to do the job. Um, and they're not necessarily the best people, right? It's not a fair process. It's not a meritocracy in order to be a referee uh, in this country. So that's something that needs to be looked at. Um, because you know, until you have full-time professional referees, at least for the Scottish Premiership, you don't have the best people doing it. That's just as simple as that. Um, and therefore, they're there might not be as good a standard as there could be. Um, I think that when you professionalise as well, it also, as well as getting the best candidates, it means that those people then get you know training and ongoing learning and you know they can review their work and all these things. They'll, they'll be much, much better. Lots of other things that can be done as well. I do think that as much as I want to protect the referees and I'm a wee bit concerned about the media attitude towards them, um, I'm not saying that referees should have to come out and explain uh, all mistakes or all decisions because I, I think that that would just be used against them and wouldn't be good. But I think it might be good if there was a bit more transparency, maybe some way to involve referees in the media. So you see, like down south uh, in you know football matches, they'll maybe have a former referee that they turn to during the commentary um, to ask for an opinion about a decision. And that can be quite, you know, uh, a good thing potentially in terms of, you know, uh, giving a quick, clear explanation of the whys and, and stuff, and, and you know, yep. giving a bit of a human voice to the referee instead of it being some sort of, uh, you know, robot figure um, that either you know rolls the dice in your team's favour or rolls it against you. You know, it kind of makes them a bit more part of. The, the conversation so that that might be another thing yeah. to look at as well uh, also as we kind of touched on in terms of the punditry and stuff I understand that the pundits need to talk about what kind of sells and, and what's interesting and the very fact that we were talking about it on this podcast um, shows that we, we too are kind of interested but I would love it if there was a little bit less of an obsession over each minute detail and a bit more focus on um the tactics of the football, the good football that was played, how the teams are totally playing, agree. All, all that kind of stuff. I'm just a bit bored of it, really. Um, and I know that's easy to say when it's not maybe your team that's had you know number of penalties against you or not got a decision. But that's that's how I feel about it. It's, it's kind of getting that, tedious. Yeah, that that's the thing. In every single game of football that you will watch, there will be a decision where it could go one way or another. You could argue it's a free kick or it's not a free kick. In Scotland, every single one of those decisions are blown completely out of proportion into you know conspiracy theories, into you know dodgy referees, into they're not good enough, into all this sort of stuff. But I, I'm with you with, with everything you said. My um, 
crazy solution. Um, I I think you know I've got you know a bit of a love for the NFL. <laughs> yeah. um, so in the NFL, what they do is they give the referee every possible support they can give. They have more than one referee. Mm-hmm. They have video referee. They have their equivalent to linesmen. But so, for example, I thought, what about if you just had two referees and they ran at different angles so they could see something more and deliberated things when it had to be deliberated. You know, it works. I know American football slows down, but would would we rather referees took that little bit more time and discussed a decision and got the decision right for key decisions? Mm. Would that would that be a better outcome for everyone? Yeah. What what would Unless be the benefit do, of doing that instead of VAR? I well, I guess we've seen in VAR that you still have. Uh, I think the Casemiro one is a prime example where VAR can still ha- n- not give you the outcome that you're looking for. But we, we're both had- accepting that that can happen, right? I mean, even if you had the two referees, you're not going to get everything right, right? Okay, so let me get. So if you don't have VAR, then uh, what about the cost aspect? So you're asking every Scottish club to have the right level of equipment and all that sort of thing. That obviously comes well, at, I mean, but, at a cost. I but think two referees every game has a cost too. Is it going to be as much as VAR? Well, maybe not, but you know, it's it's still um, we would need to know the numbers on those things. But of I would course. imagine if if in my mind you're making all the referees professional and full time, then having two referees for every match might be enough of a cost that VAR might be. Uh, you know, because I would imagine that a lot of the cost in VAR is initial cost. Once you have it, then maybe the cost from year to year isn't that great. Whereas with the referees. If you're having two, you're paying two salaries every yeah, year from now on. Surely you're so. still paying the salary of the video ref as well. So that's you know that's still a cost there on top of mm, of yeah, the instalment. Okay. I don't sure. know. I don't know. We point. don't know. It's it's all hypotheticals, obviously. Um, yeah. But we Good can't think we, we can't keep moaning about it unless we're willing to do something differently about it. And uh, and I, I think that starts. You know, the clubs have got to act a little bit differently. I think the best thing that refs could do is sort of what you said. Come out; they don't need to explain everything, but see if they said, you know, this is what I seen and this is what I call why I called it. Mm. People, you would still have your your crazy people with their tinfoil hats calling it conspiracy, conspiracy to everything. But you know, to normal people, you would then actually at least understand what has happened and why he came to see it that way. The other thing I was thinking about as well, right, was you know how the criticism potentially of the referees is based on who they support. What about in the media? Quite a lot of our pundits are pundits because they played for a particular team and they don't exactly hide their allegiances in terms of, um, some people would say, in terms of what they're commenting on and stuff. Do you think we maybe need some more uh, pundits on our football TV shows that you know were different things? Maybe, you know, that played for multiple clubs and don't have such a set allegiance to one club? Or do you just think they need to be a bit more mindful of um, what their comments can do? You know, the, these people that have quite a an influence maybe on supporters of the club that they played for? Of course, I think the problem is so uh, the two people that are springing to mind, uh, imagine trying to tell Chris Sutton that he's got to be mindful of other people. That's not going to happen. Um and Ali McCoyst, who just doesn't know anything actually about football. Um, so I think you're right. It'd be more interesting to see, get people like, if they can, I don't know schedules or whatever, but get like Alex McLeish on or get the 21s manager on. You know, there's a lot of young players playing That's in the league. That's what I would love. Like, where, where's the, the, the Scottish women's national team manager? 
can she be a pundit on sports scene? Um, can we get some more diversity? Can we get you know somebody that maybe didn't play for one of the clubs that has a lot of these decisions for or against them every week? You know, just just some some different. Uh, yeah, it does get boring. It does get boring hearing the same stuff over and over again. Uh, talking of uh, other things that are maybe troubling us at the moment, <laughs> so we're going to talk a wee bit about sectarianism. The the reason that this is kind of, uh, uh, I mean, obviously it's a topic that's important at all times, but it's kind of come up recently because Steve Clark um, had said that he was the subject of some sectarian abuse when he was at Ibrox uh, managing Kilmarnock during the week. Um, what What's your take on this, Gavin? Um, I think that there needs to be a, a hard line with it now. I think it's a it's a black mark on our game. Um, yep. You can you can have banter, but banter has a line, um, mm. and I think anything that's you know sectarian is is crossing that line. Um, I I'm really pro. I've put it on Twitter a couple of times. I'd like to see us take a really hard ball of stance like the Italian FA done with a. Both the, the teams from from uh, Rome, uh, Roma mm-hmm. and Lazio, um, when they had um, racist chants, you know, mm-hmm. we would absolutely not tolerate racist chants at a game of football. And well, whenever, um, so I I, uh, I agree with everything you've said there. Um, and personally, I would love to eliminate sectarianism, homophobia, sexism, racism from our football matches. Two of the last three matches I've gone to in Scotland, I've heard racist abuse. Um, so I, I think that similarly to sectarianism, um, we maybe hide our heads in the sand as to the extent of all this. I think a wee bit. I think that there's still um, a, a bigger. Um, yeah, I guess it's a know, full culture piece. Story. I guess. Um, but but certainly yeah. to continue, um, tell me more about the kind of hard hard stance that you would yeah. take. So how how would that work? What what are you thinking? What's the kind of approach? And it's it's unfortunate, but the punishment has to land with the club, otherwise it won't change. So for example, mm-hmm. games behind closed doors, mm-hmm. um, su- uh, completely shutting sections of the stadium, um, mm-hmm. reducing away allocation tickets, um, mm-hmm. or you know if it, if you didn't see improvement after that. Almost have like a three or four strike rule or whatever. Then mm. once you once you get to that point, you then are docked points. Imagine saying you lost the league for uh, either Rangers or Celtic because your fans were unable to control what they they were singing at a game of football. Yep. You know it's it's ridiculous, but I feel like if we want change and we want the culture to change in Scottish football, that's the sort of hard approach that we need to take. I completely agree with you. I think there's some other things that we can do as well. So um, certainly some education um, for people who are going to the games and just for kind of wider society about this sort of issue. Because if people are still thinking of these things maybe as as banter or whatever, I think that some some of it is willfully ignorant where people know that they're winding up other people and it is wrong. But definitely still a bit of education is needed. Um, definitely agree that there needs to be some sort of strict liability for clubs and fans. Um, my take is that for anybody that's saying they don't want the strict liability or flagging up the issues with it, like you know, other fans will try and get other fans in trouble and stuff, my belief is that the only reason people are against strict liability is because deep down they know there would be a lot of punishments handed out. Um, that, that's my feeling, that people realise the ones that go to games and things like that particularly if they go to you know one of the teams that we've mentioned, I think they know that if there was strict liability, 
there would be punishments coming uh, because it's it's happening. So I, I think that's my, my take on why people might say no. The other things I think we can look at as well is maybe the influence of fan groups. So I have some concerns about... Um, well, what I'd want to say is there are some really positive examples lately of fan groups, of supporter groups in Scottish football and beyond doing good things, community things, improving their club for the fans. You know, you've got things like uh, maybe the um, on the ball uh, period yeah. poverty products here, um, which has been an enormously successful and really progressive uh, kind of fan approach. Um, I think that maybe some fan groups for clubs that perhaps feel that they have these issues and I'm certain that there will already be some fan groups that are doing positive actions in these kind of areas but I would hope that some can do some more and you know really maybe be a driving force for change in this area um, because I think that for the cl- the clubs or the SFA you know the, the SFA can hand down punishments but you know it may feel to some of the fans like they're dictating if this can come from within the fans to change and to show why um, it can't happen. That that's got to be a positive thing. My concern about that would be that um, you can see for certain clubs how many fan groups there are. Um, some of them like to you know release a statement about everything, oh. <laughs> um, and I have concerns about the sort of power structure, the hierarchy that some of these fan groups maybe have um, over other fans or other fan groups, uh, you know, and their influence and stuff. So it might be difficult for the fan groups that maybe want to take some progressive action in this area to succeed at that because there, you know, there might be some other fan groups that are maybe resistant, that are quite powerful within the clubs. Uh, I, I don't necessarily mean as part of you know influencing the club itself, I mean as part of influencing the fans. Yeah. Um, so that, that that's something that we need to be mindful and maybe think about how does the club then support those supporter groups that are... Um, trying to be a, a kind of force for change in those areas without taking away from the fact that it's supposed to be something supporter-led, maybe that part of it. Yep. And then the club themselves can obviously do some things. You don't want this all to necessarily be punitive. You know, The threat of strict liability, I think, is needed. Um, but the fans, um, and certainly the clubs, if the prospect for the club is point deductions or loss of revenue through uh, closures of stands and things like that, the clubs will want to think about how can we approach this in a way that is going to be encouraging, that can drive change in a positive way. So yep. that's something for them to get thinking about because I, I can. This has to end. I, I mean, yep. I'm not saying that you know uh, Scottish football can end religious discrimination, um, but certainly we can make the stadiums a space where that sort of thing is not tolerated, and there will be benefits in terms of encouraging more fans to come diverse fans and people will come back to watch the game that maybe haven't done anymore it's just you know and people like Steve Clark won't feel that you know they don't even want to live in this country um, as a result of it this is people's real lives this is real effects you know so um, yeah definitely a, a, a thing that needs some real action right now needs to be taken seriously Yep, totally agree. Uh, just to quickly, before we wrap up, a couple of quick uh, listener questions that have came in. Yep. Uh, so, Owen, the first one that's came in from Watson Duncan one uh, who's clearly a Partick Thistle fan, has asked, is the Championship more entertaining than the Premiership this season? Uh, that's a good question, uh, Watson Duncan one um, So, 
I would say the championship is, is clearly tighter, right? And I guess you would say that means it's more competitive. But seeing as you asked specifically, is it more entertaining? Those are not the same things, right? Uh, so I'm going to say no, it's not not more entertaining. Uh, that's based on, admittedly, the relatively limited amount of championship football I've seen in comparison to um, premiership football. But I have still seen some. And you know what? Um, we're probably, pure football, probably going to go to the cup game between Partick Thistle and Hearts um, next week. So there's an opportunity for us to see a championship team against the premiership team and we can say uh, who brings the most entertaining football on that day. Huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Gavin? What's your answer to that? I think it's, uh, you're right in terms of the specific language used in the question. It's definitely a very tight league. There's only six points between 5th and 10th. Um, so there's a number of teams you go on a bad run. You could be... Uh, relegated uh, you go on a good run you know your season's safe you could maybe even maybe sneak into the playoffs um i think that the one positive i would take from the championship this year is that i think the gap between championship teams and the premiership teams is becoming smaller um we've seen uh, ross county beat motherwell um so you know uh, and that was at far park i want to say as well um you know, Dundee United, I think they beat St Mirren. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that that league's definitely on the up and there's a couple of teams that, you know, you can easily argue the case for uh, a bigger premiership, in my opinion. Um, but I guess that's something, like you said, we'll, we're hopefully going to take in the game next Monday. So um, I think we might be more entertained by Hearts than Partick Thistle. <laughs> unless oh, we look at know. it from... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, unless we look at it from a, a patter purpose... Um, might be different um, so yeah we'll, we'll maybe come back to that later in the year um, the next question from Matt Downson um, so Matt has asked with the announcement of the Iron Brew Cup location which was Inverness uh, what are your thoughts on having other British teams in the cup competition personally Matt likes it and would like to see similar instead of the League Cup even though it's likely impossible okay. what's your thoughts well um it wasn't just other British teams in this competition. Remember, for instance, Bohemians of Republic of Ireland were, were in the competition. Yep. Um, what what about you, Gavin, first of all, seeing as I kind of answered the first one mainly? What, what do you okay. think on this? Uh, so, the Iron Brew Cup specifically. So, we went to uh, the the day at Gretna Green, which was a, a, you know, a good laugh, uh, where we spoke with Stuart McCall. Um the cup competition, I feel like it's got the right idea, but it's just unable to execute it because of the limited funds that are put towards it. Um, I think you also probably need... I think if there was a, a cross between the Betfred Cup and the Iron Brew Cup, that would be good. If you had groups um, with you had you know your games where your your English team or your Welsh team or your Irish team or whatever, that might be you know cool. I think for some of these smaller clubs... Um, you know, for from the fans' point of view, anyway, you know, getting these amazing away days, uh, some of them, albeit shambolic, uh, <laughs> when they were called off last minute. Um, but I think you know that's a memory that's hard to replace. Um, how often will you get the chance to physically say, um, you know, you were there when your team played, you know, um, their first game outside of Scotland, um, their first competitive game outside of Scotland, anyway. Um, hmm. So yeah, I think that's a you know an important memory. Um, yeah, it, it needs revamped. It needs relooked at. Uh, I like the idea, but I'm just not sure 
if it's the right format right now is my take on the Ambrew Cup okay well I'm I'm probably not really a fan for kind of practical reasons for the clubs I would need to I guess understand a wee bit more about the real impact on the clubs um, financially logistically and so on and on the players and things but I just think it seems like a tough ask um, for these sort of um, travelling trips uh, particularly as you mentioned with the Bohemians in East Fife for instance being delayed initially from whenever it was supposed to take place in 2018 and then uh, cancelled uh, minutes before kickoff, um, you know, uh, this year. Um, so I don't know. I, w- I would need to know a wee bit more about what the clubs themselves, the Scottish ones, felt about the impact and that. I take your point about it being a kind of unique um, experience for the fans, but um, I- I'm not too sure how many people that's really relevant for. You know, do you know how many fans maybe Edinburgh took to Wales or? Uh, not off the top of my head. Okay. Um, I know there was definitely at least one bus full of them that went. Um, okay, sure. I, was I, that I, a, a minibus with six people though? Probably. <laughs> it, was, it was a Peugeot 206 with three guys, <laughs> loads of suitcases. Um, and I'm, but, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not, I have to say, I'm not overall convinced about even the existence of a cup that's just for lower leagues. Um, now that, that might seem a wee bit unfair. I know obviously if you get to a cup final as a club that's maybe not that's not a normal thing for or there's no you know normal chance of getting to even a semi or a quarter that's got to feel great and, and it's an occasion and stuff but um, just for me um, I kind of like cups that everybody can be in and, and I kind of yeah I'm, I'm not convinced about that overall yeah I think it's something that you know definitely needs looked at and, and revamped in some way um, what that is I guess we don't know as of yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think um, so. You know, thank you for everyone that's got in touch with us. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us. We're now available on Spotify, hopefully on iTunes by the time that this is released as well. Um, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks very much. Goodbye.